0: Hi, I'm Sienna. Hi, I'm Christina. And you're listening to Behind the Curtains podcast, a podcast brought to you by English Touring Theatre. Join us as we chat to some of the
1: amazing creatives and movers and shakers in the world of theatre, off the stage.
0: From directors, to producers, to choreographers, production managers writers and dialect coaches we're spotlighting the folks that are the backbone of the industry we'll
1: be reflecting on life and work in a pandemic and thinking ahead to what the future might hold in these uncertain times our guests will also tell you their stories and share their career journeys
0: each unique to them catch us fortnightly available everywhere you get your podcasts including itunes and spotify so in this episode we're thrilled to be
1: joined by playwrights Zodwa and cory Hi, Sotto! Hi, Corey!
2: Hello,
3: hello. Hi, Harry.
0: Hey, hey,
2: how
3: guys. are you doing? Good. Grand. And like <laughs> rainy Manchester, but you know it is what it is. We love it.
0: Yeah. Woo. Well, we'll talk real deep about how everyone's doing <laughs> in a moment. But I think it's only right, uh, Chrissy, that we give them their proper introductions. So.
1: I am thrilled to be joined by two amazing writers. We have Zodwa who is a Zimbabwean-born screenwriter, director, playwright and poet. She has toured nationally and internationally performing at venues such as British Museum, Venezuelan Embassy, Latitude Festival, Southbank Centre and has performed globally in Durban, Zimbabwe, New York and Miami. She won the Channel 4 playwright scheme for Boy Boy Is Dead and was a finalist for Susan Smith Blackburn Prize. Her plays include Nine Lives, which I am seeing tonight, I'm very excited about that, Phone Home, Borderline, *O to Leeds, Duty and Beneath the City, all published with Bloomsbury. She also has worked her magic on screen with her first short film Mahogany, followed by Notes on Being a Lady and is currently in production with The Ancestor. Corey is an actor, writer, producer, and the founder of Oysel Productions, which is short for Originated in South East London. His production company has allowed him to push his tales into theatres and festivals throughout the years. Corey has written and produced Chicken Burger and Chips, Red Card, 32 Peak Street, Theory of Three, Young Gentleman, and Are We Okay? He also produced The Last of Her Days and a short film called Drink, respect to both of you and your impressive resumes
0: great well first we kind of asked we sort of touched on it but let's probably go into quickly how's everyone doing how is everyone it's a hard question you know so maybe how is everyone today yeah, um,
2: to, to... Uh, yeah today started off well can't really complain you know still got a couple hours left in the day but so far so good so far so good
3: I think there's definitely like taking it like day by day that's become like the new thing and like I'm such I'm such a planner whereas like this whole year has been like nah that's not happening so you've got to (laughs) figure out like how do you just like exist with like constant change Like, that's
1: a new thing. Zodra and Corey, you've both had or about to have plays on during a pandemic. Can you tell us about your recent plays and projects you've been working on? Also, can you just tell us how it's been affected by the pandemic? I know with you, Corey, you released the play during March, which is when, as we all know, the pandemic started to kick in. Lockdown came about and your play was just coming towards the end when the lockdown was in force. So can you just tell us about the process and how that affected your play?
2: So my it's play exactly. finished on the, mm-hmm. I think it was the, I don't even know. It was, <laughs> when did it finish? Uh, it finished in March, <laughs> on, on the Saturday. <laughs> By Tuesday, the following week, the theater had closed, yeah, closed. So the show that was supposed to go up after me, did it even get to, to open
0: up? So you were one of Li- the last literally. things, basically. Yeah. that you saw in the
1: theater. I guess one of the thing. plus sides of that is that it, you're like the you're a lasting impression because now anyone that anyone that went to see your play will never be seeing
3: another play again. <laughs> I so
2: like play. It as well. Where were you? Where were you the week before oh the day. pandemic hit?
3: I was at Corey's place, chicken burger
1: and chips. <laughs> <laughs> um, and do you because obviously with the whole pandemic hitting and then the you were able to finish off your play but were, was you planning on doing anything more any more performances or any touring with the play or was you quite satisfied with where it kind of um,
2: so off? the plan was um, so the plan was to transfer it somewhere so I was in conversation with uh, the Pleasant Arcola and battersea arts center as well um to hopefully do something end of the year um like two three week run and then also we was also looking at edinburgh in the fringe as well okay um but yeah that that's clearly not gonna happen right about now
1: zodwa nine lives is one of the few plays that will be performed during the pandemic what experiences have you faced with this play and What are the next steps for Nine Lives?
3: Do you know what, the funny thing is like for Nine Lives, the plan wasn't for it to um, go to the bridge. We initially had put it out um, on YouTube because we had a recording of it from when we toured it to, um, we toured it like nationally and then it had like its final run at the Ecola and this was like 2016. And we had, like, that recording, and then because everybody started sharing all of their performances online, so we then put ours up um, on YouTube, and that's how we then got picked up by The Bridge. So it was, like, wonderful that they were going to be programming, like, this season, Um, but also, like, with the funny thing about Nine Lines is that that was the first time I'd ever written um, a series of monologues. And at that time, I was like, oh, I've no idea, like, how to even, like, structure monologues. I'd never done, like, I'd done, like, a one-woman show that I'd written for myself for uni, but then it was never, like, written for performance for other people. So it was quite nice to then be able to kind of share this work again and uh, that we just had, like, sitting, you know, kind of in the catalogue. And then when the I, the plan, uh, when the, kind of the opportunity came up for you to kind of go to the bridge, it was so nice because what had been happening is that over the course of, like, the year, it had felt like I'd had... You know, these kind of commissions uh, that I'd been working on, but there wasn't an output. And that's always a difficult thing, like, as a writer, is that there's a process. Like, you spend so much time on your own, and then you, like, you hand the work forward. But that kind of forward motion, like, just wasn't happening. And I think I was getting really disheartened as to, like, why am I even writing then? Because the industry that I'm writing for, like, isn't functioning right now. So when the opportunity kinda of came up to share nine lives, I was like, yes, because I missed it. Like I just missed the process of like being able to share work with audiences. And like I haven't been down to the bridge yet, so I'm gonna go um this month. Um uh, but like I it's gonna it be interesting to see like how that set looks like and then how you can kind have of interacted with audiences now. Um but it's quite nice to just be in rehearsal mode now just to kind of be back in the same space with people again and be like yo we're making theater like let's go back and kind of be in the place that kind of just gives us like soul man
0: Can I just say this is the thing that I think something you both have said that I find really interesting is actually this idea of like theatre is theatre. That's that's there. And there's something there's something about the liveness of theatre, right? And the being with people through the process of theatre making as well as sharing. And I know that people have had to take things online, right? And people have had to make use really quickly of like YouTube and all of that and National Theatre and everybody else has like brought amazing work to the internet but it's just not the same and I just think you know film is film and theatre is theatre and there's always crossover but I and there's lots of similarities but I don't know if you have any thoughts on that kind of I I dare not quite ask if like you know can this be the new normal so to speak because I just don't think anything can replace theatre that's the reason why we're we're in this industry but do you think there's something around a kind of middle ground or a fundamental change in how we'll um, consume theatre moving forward with this heavy aspect of digital either of you or both.
3: I think well, like for me in particular, you know, there is like, I, I love the live lesson of it all. For me, like that's the heart, like being able to kind of like interact with like the yeah. audiences and the performers and the, and the connection. But then the benefit that we then had of work kind of going online is that I'm not in London. And a whole bunch of people that went in London so true. that missed a whole bunch of shows that were now being kind of like just churned out online. So what we were then finally able to do was like be part of that conversation, which we weren't like last year or the year before, like 10 years before that. Like nobody was sharing this work with us. We had to like think about the cost of travel just to even get to London and then the cost of the show. Then like, okay, what time do I then go back like up, up north? So there was like the beauty of finally kind of being able to see like a whole bunch of shows. Whether or not it was like for myself or for like kind of my students, it's like, yo, there's like stuff that you can like plug into like every week at the very least, you know, in preparation for the new semester that's coming, start watching shows now, you know, because you can't travel and go see stuff, but at least you're kind of still engaging with like what is already existing kind of out there. So there was that, but at the end of the day, it didn't kind of take away from the fact that like I am involved in this kind of industry because of like the live output.
0: Corey, what about you? Just any thoughts on that?
2: I I feel like in a way we're kind of forced to go down the other avenue which is online uh, whether that is YouTube or if um a theatre company have their own um online content on, on 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 their website um but in terms of what what you just said in in the sense of the low everybody's location everybody be, not being able to get to one mm-hmm. place but still being able to log on to the internet and to access um the show is it is the benefit, but then Definitely. the the other side of it is not actually being in that space going on those journeys with those characters um, having sharing those emotions you know just just there being in that presence and feeling everything that's happening um and again that is something that draws people to live performances and to go to the theater as well.
1: I was going to say, I agree with you guys, actually, because it was something I was thinking of the other day, which is, especially within our community, theatre isn't as accessible as it should be. Um, and a good example for me is the whole um, national plays. So, for example, when Small Island came out of theatre, I was telling people, go watch it, it's so good. And all my people were like, you know what, this is, I'm not going to be paying all this money to watch a play. And questions around, you know, Will I, you know people thought... As I do as well. I sometimes I get a little bit apprehensive to go to the theatre because some days I can't be bothered to be the only black person in the audience. It's long when everyone's just watching you pondering why you're there. I, mm-hmm. I sometimes I don't want to do that. You feel like that I sometimes. just want to. I want. Do you know how many times I've sat down and someone has turned to me and said, "So, what brings you to watch this play? What brings you to the theatre? And I'm looking around, thinking, "Did you ask everybody else, or is it just me here?" Okay, it's just me. Like it's just ridiculous. Um, so it's that whole kind of. There's so many barriers unfortunately that theatre can sometimes bring um so just thinking about theatre so Nine Lives and uh Chicken Burger and Chips both represent the black community um in so many different ways whether it's um locally you know Chicken Burger and Chips is based is you know it's all around Lewisham and Morley's Chicken Shop is like a iconic which again i'm not gonna lie it was only i think it was you corey that told me about Morley's chicken shop Z- Z- so <laughs> have you heard of Morley's chicken shop no
0: who or what is it no what it's not a legendary chicken shop we know the thing is so uh, christina's vegan and i'm veggie and i've been veggie since i was like 11 years old or something so i don't even eat chicken <laughs> but that doesn't matter like Morley's is still homage that is south tea. london and it's just it's just a symbol
1: nine lives and chicken and chips represent black culture As writers, do you feel that theatres are ready to listen to stories that represent us and what changes can be made so that we can be represented more in theatre?
2: I, so the first time I actually went to the theatre, well, to the Royal Court, I think I was probably about 23. And the show that I went to see, it was called The Narrow Road. Um, And Mm. prior to that, I didn't know anything about the theatre it was just stuff that I'd done in school um, and that was just basic all your classical stuff so then in search of like seeing more shows I came across like people like Michaela Cole when she done Chewing Gun Dreams um, I came across Errol John's Moon on the Rainbow Shore and these plays just blew my mind because I was like raw number one these are black writers Second, Michaela Cole's actually performing in her own show and using slang. Third, Errol Dron is using patois in his play and performing it in the UK. So I was just like, right, this is, this is unheard of because I'm coming from Lucian. It's not predominantly black, but it's still classed as an urban area. So then during drama, we're not learning people like Errol John or other English writers like Rashawn Stone or are other American writers like if you're doing classical you can look at August Wilson right so I think that's mm-hmm. what needs to change On like firstly just the uh, education point and then second it's about allowing creatives and write- writers to feel free to write whatever it is that they want to write and say whether or not they're using um, slang, correct English, um, pigeon, um, patois, whatever it is, but just allowing them to be free to express themselves because there sometimes seems to be like a, um, um, like they're, they're, they're very cautious of, of the writing that they allow to be performed or even published or, um, yeah, performed or published. So I think I feel like it's about the freedom. You
3: know, it's always interesting because like, you always like remember, the first play that kind of like struck you and you're like, oh snap, like I wanna, I wanna go to the theater more. And I think for me in like going to the theater and I think you always have like the classics whether or not it was like kind of in theater or poetry like you learn what you learned, um, what was on the syllabus at school. And then for me it was like 2008 or nine and going to the theater and seeing, um, it was like an international play actually that I had taught from South Africa and it was Nothing But The Truth by John Carney. And it was about um, this uh, girl who then grew, had grown up in London and her dad had passed away. And then she'd kinda taken the body back, actually cremated him, and then she'd taken the ashes back to South Africa. And they're like, what the hell have you done? Like, we don't do that shit. Like, we, we bury our people, right? And she was like, "Well, she didn't understand because, like, she had grown up in London, so she didn't really kind of know the idea of like, what does it mean to be, you know, black and what is your culture and like, what are the rituals when you go back to South Africa?" And I was like, "Yo, I, I get that because I have predominantly kind of grown up in in Leeds and my family's from um, Zimbabwe, but what I just hadn't seen was that that conversation around, you know, being of two places and what does it mean when you have kind of two cultures that then have been informed like who you are." And because I kind of. But I'm kind of growing up in Leeds. Like all I really knew was like all kind of England had provided, and I'd left Zimbabwe quite early on. So then to then see that play on stage, I was like, oh, okay, so so I can do that then. Like I can have that play that kind of discusses like the duality of like my identity, and that's the stuff that I want to write about because what it always felt like is if there was a choice to be made, either or. Like either you're going to be writing about like your kind of perspective from being Zimbabwean, or then write about your perspective from kind of being uh, in in England, and that wasn't what I was. I just felt like I was always kind of these two things. So then being able to kind of see that work became really important in kind of shaping like what my voice was like as a poet or like as a playwright and even kind of now in film, you know, the ancestors looks at like, you know, Zimbabwean ancestors kind of descending to earth, you know, to then have a conversation with like their descendants. So that's the kind of like place that I existed in. I know that there's like second, third, like fourth generation, like migrants who understand what that existence is. So I think for me, it becomes about like, well, what do you then invest in when it comes to narrative? What do you then invest in when it comes to what shapes our society and a specific kind of talking about kind of England? We are made up of immigrants. That's what this kind of society is. So then in turn, be it like your, your music or your theater or your film or your television that has to kind of reflect like that diversity without that space then kind of being carved, then voices like mine do not exist, but yet I, in my existence, I am constantly contributing to this society. So then how do you then not make space for that? And it became really important for me when I was then kind of engaging with like theaters, I was like, no, I'm, I'm gonna be here because not only do I have like the desire to then create work, but then you're not gonna push me out of the space. So I'm gonna keep coming back over and over again. And for us, like, kind of being up north, we don't necessarily kind of have, like, you know, four theatres on one, one street. We don't. There's one regional theatre. So you've got to <laughs> keep going back and keep going back and be like, yo, like, <laughs> hi. <laughs> I said <laughs> hi last month. I say hi again this month. <laughs> like, and you keep doing that. And you are genuinely, I think, blessed if you're then able to find gatekeepers who then are willing to kind of um, help that voice find its space. And you will then struggle particularly if you don't find the gatekeepers who have um, the knowledge and don't have the open-mindedness to create space for that. And I think I've been so fortunate that I've been able to kind of find whether or not it's been like literary associates or like directors, or even before that, actually, even before entering like the organizations, I was meeting people like in the community, you know, like, so when we later like, talk about like the people who influence you, my person was like Khadija Ibrahim and Paulette Morris, these two black women in the community in Choppertown and be like, yo, we're going like, to create platforms for kind of young people to create work. And I think that's what we kind of need to continue to support but then also you then understand like more and more as you kind of get into like the industry like the com- the com- commerce of it all and you understand how people then place value and you go well that's not necessarily kind of based on like the the validity of my voice because I know there's power in that voice the issue is you've placed a price tag on something and then define that that's the thing that is worthy. That's the thing that's worthy of time, of commissioning, of programming, of like being seen by audiences. My other thing just isn't that for you.
1: In regards to you both as just writers, what started you off and what inspired you to start writing?
3: Um,
2: how did I get into writing? Um, so I used to be at Oval House drama company. And during the term, I think, The director at the time he said we're gonna do some immersive theater so I need you guys to to write um like a a scene I was like huh right I've never done that before (laughs) I've done comprehensions like I've, I've you know I've wrote stories but I've never written something to be performed um so yeah so that that was the first thing that I wrote that I performed Um, And then from then, I kind of, I don't know, I liked it. Because I was, again, it gave me the freedom to express myself. Like, the the subject was whatever you want it to be. So then I chose something can literally wrote it, fine-tuned it, done a bit of editing. And I, I enjoyed performing it and people enjoyed watching it as well. So then that kind of said to me, okay, cool. This is something that I could potentially do alongside acting as well. And then again, I was... Like just doing a lot more research in terms of black creatives, black writers, um, British and American. So then they gave me the encouragement as well to then say, do you know what, I, let me give this, let me give this a try, um, and see what it is that I can do. So I think that's been for five years now, um, writing alongside acting. And then this, the chicken burger and chips, that book with the play, sorry. That I started, that was my first idea, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, and that was five years ago. But that was performed this year, and the script was only finished last year. So, just like Zod was said, it's a that first play, that first idea that you have may not see the stage for years, and that's literally what happened with this one. Um, so, in, in terms of now, creatively, um, after, well, during the, the lockdown, the first lockdown that happened, um, I started writing something with a co-writer of mine, um, Terrell Williams, um, for a a TV comedy. So I had the idea from last year November, spoke to him about it, and then we did agree once Chicken, Burger and Chips was finished, we'll take some time in between and just work on it. I mean, the only plus side about the lockdown was that it gave me a lot more time to then focus on the script. Mm. And then again, it's it's about being excited about whatever it is that you're writing. And once I have the excitement in me, I don't want to take myself away from the page. I stay writing. That, that means to me that I have a good idea. When I don't have a good idea, I'm like, mm, I, I'll come back to it tomorrow. You know, like I might look at it <laughs> for like five minutes and then say, Nah, and then I'll, I'll leave it for maybe a week, couple of days. But with this one, hmm. the excitement was there from both of us. So literally every day for about three months, we're going back and forth, just talking and discussing the script, sending over drafts to each other. So that that kept us
0: busy. I love what you said. That's so true. That just kind of thinking about myself as a writer as well, and um, and this idea as well of like I'm definitely a person who I like am an ideas hmm. generator. I have ideas for days and days and days and days and days. And there are some things like, um, I'll have an idea and I know that okay this is for whatever reason this isn't the time so I was just there in like a filing cabinet at the back of my mind and then you'll meet the right person or just the opportunity will arise where you're like oh we're just going to bring that forward mm. in the filing cabinet <laughs> <laughs> and you know so for me I basically just, I, I, it's rare for me to feel like an idea has been wasted I really am like if it's a good idea there'll be a time like there's quite a few projects that I've had where I'll, when I'm talking to people about it I'm like I've been thinking about this since 2013 my friend or 2015 2015 or 2018 it's only now yeah. that you're seeing it kind of thing it's not like this oh you know that thing about oh it takes 10 years to be an overnight success those kind of those kind of things but yeah this idea of like holding on to things I think a lot of people some people do get it like that where they'll have an idea today and then tomorrow it just pops basically but for mm. a lot of people you, it's about everything being in place really for it to go because you could do something at the time in 2013 and actually the moment is now for it to be out where you're going to get the audience and that kind of reception I also that I also think so, it's about the yes.
2: stage that you are currently in with, within your, yes, exactly. your, your career in and yourself, yourself. Um, is, yeah. because there's there's a lot of things that sometimes you need to kind of evaluate when it comes to writing and creating so you can look at yeah. something and say yeah
0: and you're this is
2: it really and truly it's not really and truly you might need to go <laughs> yeah. back you know have a look mule over it speak to somebody about it and that could take a while in itself
0: but yeah, what about you sort of doing that kind of inspiration, what's was kicking off your inspiration and how did you get writing?
3: I think I was, I was a reader first. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I was, you know, like Chumamanda, listen, right? I was like, <laughs> every single book, I'm a reader work. And I think I, she was genuinely like the first kind of author that like just made me like fall in love with somebody's like body of work. And then from then on i started reading a lot more of poetry reading and watching actually and like kind of getting on youtube and watching things like you know deaf poetry jam and you're like oh okay cool like there's performance poetry and then i and, and i remember kind of in school there was like the anthology like poems from other cultures and oh I was like, god, I all remember. Them. That. Like, yeah, listen, <laughs> I said AQA. I still have that 2004. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> got all of them in that. I still have that. Uh, MCS so, like, uh, Yes. Listen, I had that collection. I was like, Yo, okay, that, that we can do that stuff. You know, similar <laughs> like with the theatre that comes later on. I was like, Okay, snap. You can like talk about you know your culture in a poetic form. And then from like watching stuff like online and reading, I was like, I'm gonna start going to more poetry events. And I remember Benjamin Zephaniah came to Leeds. Mm-hmm. And this oh, like, in a I love him, my listen like 2005 like he comes to Leeds and does a show and there is like some young people who open for him and I was like oh snap I've not seen like young people do poetry before and like they're talking about like what it means to kind of grow up in like Leeds and kind of in the north and it's like kind of this poetry and hip-hop and I was like oh cool I, I want to do that because that's not what I'm learning like in school at all <laughs> So I remember kind of going up to Khadijah and I was like, can I join? Like, how do I join? I want to be a member. Like, I want to do this too. And like, so I joined Leeds and Authors. And from kind of 2005 to 2010, like just solidly, like part of the organization, like you're performing and writing and touring and like you're going to America to do um, Brave New Voices, which is a poetry festival. And at that time, like Leeds was like the only international team. So it was like all these American teams and Leeds. (laughs) And, like, everybody used to think, like, (laughs) you know, you you come from England, they're like, yo, they got black people in England? It's like, yes. (laughs) yes." They still do that sometimes. They still do that. (laughs) And for me, it's, it's been interesting going from a place of writing out of, like, just pure... Excitement and like loving the creation of story to okay, but this is now your job, so how do you then learn how to factor discipline? Because I can't just write when I feel excited, I have to learn how to just like sit and write and kind of get to whether or not it's like you know 10 pages you know for, for that day, but I have to figure out some type of form of discipline in order for me to kind of continue writing. Because now, the way that I approach it, it was like a very kind of clear turning point, anyways. With winning the channel 4 thing because suddenly you kind of go from like oh just me on my own to like suddenly everybody's like hey you want to turn out and I was like no I don't want to turn out at all like no it's not I can't turn and like but then having to figure out okay how do you like practically work as a writer and I think now like as I've kind of written kind of different plays now like over the course of what 15 years which is mad but kind of writing for like 15 years and learning different things like like I love research like, I'm genuinely a, a researcher, and I'll probably kind of spend more time researching um, than I probably will do kind of writing. And also kind of learning, like, in writing, it's like, you will have to just keep editing because, for me, a lot of the writing kind of happens, like, in the editing. And then the same way like, that you talk about, like, having, like, that file. Filing cabinet, and just a yeah. a file there. Like, there's constantly a filing cabinet, whether it's, like, you know, you're walking past somebody, and they say something like, you know, I just didn't mean to, like, Filed you know, it. drop it there, but I had no choice. And you go, oh, but you had no choice to do what? You just file <laughs> that stuff like constantly. <laughs> and then it's like, you pull it back up again when you need like a writing prompt or like when you wanna write a scene. I think I'm exactly. just constantly like, just cataloging stuff like in my head. And yeah, I think another great exercise for me becomes like working with new writers. They're really exciting. And I love just kind of being in a room with them and kind of just hearing what they're thinking about and like the stories that they have. And like by being in workshops with them, I'm able to kind of just clock how I've grown. Because now I hear the things that like they say and I was like, uh, oh, I used to be like you <laughs> <laughs> And it's like oh bless. So now you can I can, I think now because like I understand like the fundamentals of like storytelling, it's easy to kind of pick up stuff they say and be like, Oh okay, fix this and do this, da And it's quite fun, so that's how I generate stories a lot of the time. <laughs> I
0: love that enthusiasm yeah. and like moving on. So you actually um, have mentioned like a few times, Zodwa, um, somebody called Khadija Ibrahim. And so actually I understand yeah. this is, we asked you both to think about because, you know, we are um, launching this podcast in October, Black History Month. Although every month is Black History Month, right? Every oh, day sure. of the year, 365 days, 24, seven, we we're black. <laughs> um, but that's it. <laughs> we always black. That said though, it is October. So um, we thought it'd be really useful anyway, whether you know they're dead, alive, whatever. Um, it's important to give people their flowers basically, especially black people. Mm. We deserve all the flowers. Um, and uh, you've mentioned um, Khadijah quite a lot. So could you tell us a bit more about Khadija, maybe how she has been um, important to your work and your creative practice, and then we'll move on to Corey.
3: I think for me particularly kind of being a young, Writer in Leeds and specifically kind of living in Chapel Town. They weren't that many, like, kind of places that you could kind of go. So, what became really crucial is that you have these people in the community who set up these groups and organizations that are for young people. And whether or not it's like music or dance or poetry, you find what your avenue is. So, Khadija and Paulette Morris, they ran Leeds and Authors. And it was like, I think it started in 2002. So, I joined in 2005. And by that point, they'd already been to America. And, like, in terms of kind of like pioneering youth organizations um, delivering kind of performance poetry in the UK, they were it. They were the ones that were kind of spearheading slam poetry in this country. You because know, leading voices, the, did you say? Lead young authors. Lead young authors. Yeah, so like they were kind of spearheading, you know, like introducing young people to like slam poetry and because they had an affiliation with like Chicago Young Authors and like when we talk about like the rise of slam poetry it all kind of began in Chicago like in kind of 1986 so then kind of Chicago Young Authors become like this kind of crucial thread which then kind of kind of influences kind of leading authors so here we are like these kind of young people in like Chapel Town like we got shit to say, do you know what I mean? so Khadija's like okay cool like here's the mic and, you know, you're doing, like, uh, slam performances. She's taking you around the country. She's kind of introducing you to different organizations. She's like, yo, your voice matters. And, like, they, they, we used to do, like, weekly sessions on Tuesday evenings, like, 6 till 9, 6 till 8 p.m. Like, we'd be kind of doing these sessions. And, like, you'd have guest poets from America, from, like, the, around the country. You'd have, like, linguists coming in to talk to you. And it's like, oh, okay, you're definitely not getting, like, this level of, like, schooling, you know, in your, in your high schools. So then, like, they also kind of introduced us to, like, theater as well. So that's where you're kind of getting, like, your early grounding about, like, what does it mean to be a creative? How do you kind of make work together and kind of uh, as a a collective? And, like, they were kind of really important in the idea for me about, you know, this could be a job. Like, this could be a career for you. So what we will do is kind of set you up. But for you to kind of move forward and, like, want to build a career, go ahead and do it. Because, like, we're going to give you, like, the confidence to do that and kind of, like, the, the certainty kind of in who you are um, as a voice, but also, like, as a creative. And even, like, now, like, literally, like, we live on the same street, right? So, like, when I go home to see my mom, I'm like, hey, Kadija, <laughs> how are you? I'm so what happened? <laughs> and so, like, you still do that. Like, you still go home and it's like, I'm going to tell you what's been happening. You know, when I went off around the world, I'm going to come back and tell you because, like, this is still home like this was still like the beginning not only like was she fundamental in terms of kind of setting up an organization but she's also a theatre maker in herself you know she's also kind of an activist so I think what's really important I think for me is like coming across people like that who are selfless in their own practice and in their time so then when I remember about why do I teach then I go back to that because if it wasn't for kind of having that same grounding then I wouldn't kind of be where I was so I have to then kind of pay it forward
0: I love that and Corey what about you thank you so much I'm like so inspired just listening to that and I'm like super touched by just those final thoughts around like no matter where you go right that they act like they're an anchor like to to what it means to to feel at home no matter where you go and I love that so much and Corey who's who's the person that or like one of the people who's been quite foundational in your artistic practice who's your unsung or maybe sung hero um
2: so I I sent over and I mentioned uh a writer and a director by the mm-hmm. name of T.D. Moyer, um, a young lady from South East London um, who's just been doing, she's been doing dope things for since university and then after university as well. Um, her plays, she directed one of my plays, which was 32 Peak Street, which we've done at Camden Fringe. Mm-hmm. Um, her own play, Phils, as well, which is at it was at the Hammersmith Lyric. Uh, And then she was also assistant director for a play that was on at the Royal Court just before the pandemic as well. And she's done some touring stuff. But uh, for me, I I kind of, I'd say compared to Zodwa, the industry is a bit late for me. Um, (laughs) So I've, I've come across, I've come across loads of people, but I mean, her energy and her spirit for me is possibly one of the best ones to kind of be around that you kind of want to attach it to yourself as well. Um, And just the the conversations that I've had with her and how she directs actors as well is just amazing. Like literally, I wrote 32 Peak Street and I, I, during rehearsals, I would sit down and watch a lot of the stuff that she would do Mm -hmm. just because I wasn't in all the scenes. So I was able to kind of sit down and not only watch the actors, but just watch her work as well and um, then going to see her own work stuff that she's written herself and directed herself she's just she's amazing so I, I think that she's going to have a very big future depending on what happens that. with with theatre work as well yeah, Our yeah industry yeah, yeah, yeah. overall so we're
0: shouting out Khadija Ibrahim, um, Paulette Morris and T.D. Moyer And just thinking about, so um, I guess, you know, leading on from that, I think you started to touch on throughout the conversations and stuff that you've learned in your career and like along the way and I suppose I, I wanted to ask you what maybe you know a few kind of things as we kind of start to bring our conversation to a close as well we've got a few more things to to ask you but one one a couple of the questions I wanted to ask were around what do you wish you actually knew before stepping into this space um, if, if now looking back and, and there's a younger version of you or someone like that that's listening and they're like oh I want to I can write you know um, or I can do this I can do that or I'm thinking about this I'm thinking of that like what are some of the things you wish that maybe three or two or three things you wish you knew in advance that, that were, would be useful for someone to know now, um, maybe even more so at a time like this when we're, we're trying to build our practice and, and work in unconventional circumstances.
3: You're allowed to say no. Oh, that's super important. You are, you mm-hmm. are seriously allowed to say mm-hmm. no to, th- to opportunities and people um, that make you that's feel so like cute. as if you should be grateful. Mm. Yes, because then that will w- mess with your idea of worthiness. And you've already been worthy. And it's very dangerous when you end up in a place where you feel like if I say no, I'm going to lose. Because then what's happening is there's a power play that's happening that's making you feel like as if that person is your only avenue to achieving what you want to achieve, and that isn't true.
0: Oh, I love that Zodwa! I love that, Corey. What about you? Maybe just one thing, or you might have maybe um, a, one more thing, but just something you wish you you knew before you started out.
2: Um, how how tough it's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's the Zodwa mentioned it earlier on the resilience. You know, just just having that resilience installed within from the minute go, from when you say, okay, cool, this is what it is that I'm going to do, just to have that resilience because you're, you, you are going to get knocked down. You are going to get told, you know, maybe things need to change or maybe you need to cut certain things out or uh, this isn't right for this establishment, you need to go here, etc. But there are going to be things that you're not going to like to hear. Um, but it doesn't mean that you should stop and it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a space or somebody who is going to, as you mentioned as well, like a gatekeeper who is going to say, do you know what? I like what I like what it is that you're doing. Here's a space. Here's the platform. Go go and do the work. But that takes time and it, it, it happens after a while. It doesn't happen
0: straight away.
1: Just finally, just to share your kind of, you know, your social media platforms or anything at all that you've got coming up. Within, that we can like, support we virtually can, yeah, or in person. That we can really social just distance. like push out there and just like let our listeners know exactly more about you guys yeah what's coming up for you uh
3: well i've got the nine lives of the bridge that's coming out um this month which i'm so excited about god willing, really. come on now COVID mm-hmm. don't like mess with my plans yeah so, like <laughs> hashtag no second wave you know what i mean <laughs> like i <I've> got time <laughs> so like that's coming out but like i'm also like on on twitter Um, and I'm on Vimeo now, so like I've got some short films up on Vimeo, so like that's out there to like share. Um, I should probably really make my Instagram public, but sometimes
1: (laughs) what's your Twitter (laughs) handle?
3: Zodwa, what's your Twitter handle?
0: Uh, it's Zodwa NY, perfect Zodwa NY, and we'll make sure these are in notes as well and stuff as well. Corey, what about you? Um, Where can we find you? First off.
2: Uh, chicken burger and chips was published in july um so that was published by salmander street and you can also purchase the book on salmander i think currently there's um a discount on on offer on the book i think it's 50 percent off actually so um great yeah.
0: wow right anyway this has been such a fantastic conversation it's thank you so awesome. much both for opening up behind the curtains podcast um and yeah we're just really looking forward to even though it's it's strange uncertain times out here but you know you both are doing amazing things and we just can't wait to keep like supporting your work and keeping an eye on what you do next and I think you just had some great words of wisdom for our listeners and anyone else who's still considering you know is this for me isn't it for me um hopefully these conversations will kind of help you on that path
1: yeah definitely it's been you know it's been really insightful it's been really inspirational Um, and even you know for me just like learning so much more about you guys and your background and you know you're both heroes to so many people your stories you know touch will and will continue to touch people
0: tune in next time as we catch up with associate director at the Birmingham Rep Madeline Clujet and award-winning cultural producer Toby Cherimateng catch us fortnightly episodes will be available everywhere you get your podcasts including iTunes and Spotify and don't forget to follow ETT on @etttweet on Twitter and at English Touring Theatre on Instagram.